The Priestess and the Cauldron, a podcast featuring Elvira Love and Phoenix Le Fay, two out-of-the-room-closet professional witches with over 70 years' combined experience of making magic. This is a show on the LMC Radio Network. During each show, Elvira and Phoenix will help you create rituals, make spells, make potions, and much more besides. They'll spend time speaking about different goddesses from all over the world, paying attention to the ancient reverence of long-ago cultures and infusing it with a modern perspective. Elvira, Phoenix, take it away. Almost a dab in the middle of Mercury retrograde. We're which close. We're getting close. To I, I know. There's oh. hope. Yeah. There's hope. <laughs> it's funny, this Mercury retrograde. I know we always say something very profound about it being the most difficult, but it's had some real interesting twists and turns. Yeah. And it's more, I think it's just more. I think that there was so much more going on while this is going on mm. that, you know, people are all over. <laughs> Look at our political space. Yes, it's been uh it's, it's been a mess this week. Yes it has. Yeah. So speaking of a mess or not, how was your week? Well Elvira, um <laughs> I think I say this every week. I can't remember. Every every week you ask me that question and I have to literally look down at my calendar and go, What did I do this week? Uh-huh. <laughs> I, yeah, so I just did that. So last night we did our goddess gathering that we do every month at Milk and Honey. And last night we worked with the Morrigan. Oh, my goodness. And there were 14 beautiful souls that came to this workshop. Mm-hmm. And we did, you know, like there's a flow to those workshops. And uh, we do a little history lesson. And, and not just about the, the goddess, but about the culture that they come mm-hmm. from. For the most part, we're talking about goddesses whose worship did die at some point. Right. And so I want to really try and give context for where they were birthed from, right? Which is mm-hmm. some of what we're going to talk about today with our topic today. Yes, different goddess. But goddess. Uh, it was intense mm-hmm. last night. It was intense. And, uh, you know, we do a ritual after the lecture bit. Mm-hmm. And the ritual was intense. And it and after the, the opportunity people had to spiritually connect with the Morrigan, there was this heaviness in mm-hmm. the air. And, mm-hmm. and, and what I, my normal sort of ritual process, I had to shift and change and kind of follow the energy because it was, it was, it kind of took me off book. Right. You know? Right. And the Morgan's been so awake lately and so in the last many years, and we did a show on the Morgan yes, in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, it, and it's still sort of sitting with me, the intensity of it. And this mm-hmm. weekend in the Bay Area, there is some um, Nazis who want to come and protest in San Francisco and Berkeley. And I know a lot of um, anti-fascist people who are planning anti-racist rallies. And uh-huh. um, and, I, and the air is palpable with all of this, even an hour and a bit away as we are right. from from San Francisco. Right. It's still, I feel in it. Uh-huh. So that's what really sitting with me today. People shared some of their experiences. People were very moved, and uh-huh. she really did show up intensely. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And it's kind of, um, I don't know, it's it's got me feeling funny today. Yeah. I don't even know. Funny in all of the ways that funny can mean. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes ha-ha. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How beautiful, and what a miracle. And, she, you know, yeah. when you really feel truly touched by a god, mm-hmm. it's epic. Yeah. And it's terrifying and scary, and I'm sad, and, and all, <laughs> all the things. <laughs> and my daughter and I have been watching the Leah Remini documentary about Scientology. Oh, my goodness. So I also have that kind of spinning in my head, and my daughter keeps going, how do people how do people fall for this? How do people believe that this is true? And I was like, well, how do people believe Jesus is true? I said, look at me. How do I believe the Morgan is real? Right. It's all different levels. Right. But you're <laughs> to and believe. It's, it's what you're, you 
open to? What yeah. is it that it's vibrating that it touches you right. enough? Right. And it's, so. it's, yeah. It's weird. Today is weird. Well, there anyway. we go. We're so probably weird. Mercury retrograde. My Mercury retrogradeness. Well, um, revisiting car repairs. So that got taken care of on right. Monday. Well, I'm not happy in the happy sense, like, oh, gee, I just feel so great. I want to throw, you know, a thousand bucks or more out the door to, you know, my lovely mechanic who, you know, they're really great people. But it was about the suspension, and it's fascinating. That's how you drive your car. I mean, that's, that's what puts you on the road and how you turn and everything. And I was really looking at, for me, having done the Stregeria and how deeply it affected me and then this happening and how that affects my daily life. But it's how you turn and move. So as much as all this stuff churning around in our world, it was like, well, how do I drive down my personal spiritual road and turn and move (laughs) and, you know, the bumps and, you know, speed bumps or otherwise. And it was, it was just a, a, it was an energetics more than it was, you know, a philosophical. I was, I'm talking about it now because obviously there are words I need to put on the air to make something understood. Yeah. But, um, and then of course there's different things that are happening in parts of our own community of the spiritual community, not locally, but more largely that have kind of, ruffled waves and, and kind of made little eddies of stuff going on. You're talking about the Dorian Virtue. I'm talking about the Dorian Virtue. You know what? I'm going to write a note for us. To, to Let's just let's have a future show topic about leaders who abandon ship. Sounds like a good one. Yeah, I'm writing it down. Continue. Sorry. No, it's okay because this is, you know, we're a work in progress as a, as a show. We never are going to be, you know, right down the line, everything that we've got set up. Um, but anyway, that being said, it's it's more of how this week has been in terms of just navigating one's own personal convictions and one's own life, and that to me is what I see. And then obviously the topic that we have for today, which is the goddess Hestia, is a Greek run. We're on a Greek run, Mediterranean, you know, we kind of hanging out there for a little bit. Um actually brought up some real interesting thoughts which we will I will bring up probably after our break as a mm-hmm. as part of a, a combination of of things cuz obviously there are some thoughts that came up in general about this mm. but it it again it brought me back to you know again home me right. my home me right. Right. my home house my home uh, etc your lineage my lineage yeah. so so, but it was actually a productive week. So for me, I feel I did a lot of things, some of which were, you know, I didn't like chewing on, but it was okay. Right. You know, but that being said, I did yoga before I came here, and now I feel totally and completely in sync, so we're ready to go. Awesome. I know. And, and with that said, yes, Hestia. Hestia. The Greek goddess. Vicious. She's pretty interesting. She is. Yeah. Would you like to start off with some pieces of information that will start us running? Well, sure. Why not? <laughs> uh, all right. Let's start with virginity. <gasps> I am blushing. Yeah. So Hestia is considered one of the virgin gods of the Greeks, uh, along with um, like Artemis. Artemis and Athena. And Athena. Yes. Right. The only of the Greek gods that's not a virgin, well, Hera, because she's the mother, and right. Fre- not Freya, that's very Aphrodite, right. the love goddess. Right. Mm-hmm. So the majority of the goddesses in the Greek pantheon are supposedly virgins. Right. So here's my belief on that. Go for it. Bullshit. There you go. I like that. Period. I'm done. Show's <laughs> over. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so Artemis is clearly just not into men. Right. 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 He's having plenty of sex. It's just with nymphs and her hunting party. Right. Not with any dudes. Right. Good on ya. Right. Athena, I think it's much more complicated. Yes. Much more complicated. And I don't believe that Hestia is a virgin. And here we go with what does virgin mean? Baba bing, baba boom. Right. (laughs) Our modern concept is a virgin. A virgin is someone who's never had sex. Right. Chaste. Right. 
but there is a belief that this word is mistranslated, is is has been the true meaning of it has been bastardized. Bastardized. <laughs> yeah, I like bastardized actually. Who clearly I'm a little tongue-tied today. Uh, and that it it's been manipulated, uh-huh. right? How do uh-huh. you keep those young women, those young Christian women, chased? Well, the, even the goddesses of ancient time were considered right. virgins. Right. No, it, a virgin was a woman who had authority around her sexuality. Uh-huh. So ideally all women are virgins because right. we should all have authority over our sexuality and get to choose who we are intimate with. Of course, this is a time where women were often get, um, given to an arranged marriage or right. they didn't have as much authority depending on their family situation uh-huh. um, to decide if they <laughs> wanted to enter into marriage with someone or not. It was often decided for them. Right. But these goddesses were outside of that rule. They could decide to do whatever they wanted. Right. So uh, the other thing is that Vestal Virgin thing, which is a Roman counterpart that we'll probably talk about later. Yes, we will. Um, But the Vestal Virgin has sort of become this ideal of a priestess, and that's been overlaid over Hestia, Uh this this Vestal Virgin energetic. And and Hestia is not... That no at all no yeah no she's uh, and of course um, I mean she holds so much I mean home you know the home the hearth uh, architecture I thought that was fascinating you know architecture and households and and you know all these cooking and I mean things that you would say are part of the female's version of what she does in you know her family. Right. Family means children and right. male partner, whether it's structured as husband or not, it's still, there is a community. Right. And she was, I believe, deeper in, into that than she was the virginity. Right. And um, my take on virginity for this purpose is very simple. They needed to know where those boys and girls came from, especially the boys, so they could do the inheritance and they could have the particular lineage right. that they were very much into. And obviously we still have major remnants of that. But because of the other way, it was never that much concern. I mean, women had children and it wasn't necessarily because they had children of this man and it was this man's goods and property that needed to go to that person. Mm-hmm. It was right. a community. It was a whole group. It wasn't just one. And that's where I think the the turning point happened and why you have the Olympians and why you have Zeus. I mean, come on. Zeus was out there screwing everything and fathering everything. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know? And yeah, Zeus is terrible. Yeah. It makes no sense. Zeus. But truthfully, actually, my daughter named her cat Zeus. Her white cat, beautiful cat, right? Yeah. Named Zeus. She had a female, which I think was funny, Persephone. She named her Persephone. <laughs> that between Zeus and Persephone, he has populated like a herd of white, pretty cats that are all his children. And I was like going, well, I could see where Zeus went. Persephone's kind of, you know, off in the, you know, maybe she had things we never will know about because of that, but it was very funny. You talk about Zeus, and I'm thinking of cats and litters of kittens. Litters of kittens. But Hestia had a lot more. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And what's interesting, Hestia is the daughter of Kronos and Rhea, uh-huh. two of the Titans. Uh-huh. And if you're familiar with Greek mythology, then you already know this, but the Titans were very worried about their children surplanting them, which, of course, they did, so their worry was very founded. <laughs> they, they brought it into manifestation. <laughs> and one of the Titans, is it Kronos? I think so, begins to swallow all of yes. the children. Kronos swallows Rhea, his, his yes. significant brother's kids. Right. Yep. And the first child to be swallowed was Hestia. Mm-hmm. So she was the firstborn of Kronos and Rhea. She was the oldest of their children. Uh-huh. She was the first to be swallowed. And then when Zeus saves his siblings and cuts Kronos open and all of the children are released, Pestia is the last right. to be 
uh, released, allowed right. to be set free. And so she is considered the firstborn and the lastborn. Right. So if you look at that, she is the beginning and the end of the cycle. Right. She holds that point of completion, uh-huh. the, the number 10, uh-huh. right, that is Hestia. Uh-huh. So she has a very important role. And what's interesting in mythology with with uh, Hestia, she shows up over and over again as a peacekeeper, as someone who's calm. She's one of the gods that's not constantly trying to get power. Right. She's very, and yet she's always present. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's interesting because I know we're going to jump a little bit back and forth, but we're yeah. talking about the mythology. She didn't necessarily... She, you know, one of the things I found, which I thought was kind of interesting, is they said trivia, trivia things. It's basically she has the least amount of stories right. and myths right, about her, period, yeah. even though she is always there. Right, right. So I thought that was kind of a trip because of that. Yeah. And she's literally, her name translates as hearth or fireplace, right? right? So she's literally in every home. Right. So any time the ancient Greek people were cooking or using their heating source, which was often in the middle of the house, uh-huh. Uh-huh. they were working with Hestia. She she got the first offering and the last offering. Right. Again, that circle, circle. that cycle. Uh-huh. And often she was kind of given the shit end of the stick because she would get the first offering was usually the cheap sacrifice, the thing that was easy to give up. Right. And then the thing at the end, like, you know, that joke, if you're sharing a drink with someone, the last sip is always backwash. Right. Right. Getting the last sip. Right. So there's this, she's always there. She's always present. She's constantly holding space. And she's being honored, Mm -hmm. but almost like, yeah, almost taken for granted. Which now we can we can take that and push it to the side for just a minute and go into, isn't that what the women, yeah. when they were put into the position of keeping the family, keeping the food, keeping having kids, right. keeping, they were taken for granted. Right. Yeah. And not honored. Very rarely did you see anyone go, dude, Ed, you're really great. This is wonderful. Thank you for such a wonderful, you know, child, or thank you for such a wonderful meal. Now we, we today, in this day and age, yeah. we tend to say thank you more often. Sometimes, but it's even still, I think, I mean, when is the last time, and, and I know that this could start a whole freaking shitstorm of people's conversations and, you know, gender <laughs> crap, but... How often is it that a woman who happens to be the one who takes care of more things at the home, not that all of them do, but how often do children or spouses give thank yous? Right. How often when you do the dishes every freaking night are you said, told thank you for doing the dishes tonight? I know it's a rare occurrence for me. Right. Right. It's a rare occurrence because it's, it's taken for granted. I do the laundry. I don't get thanked when I do the laundry. Uh-huh. And I've noticed in my partnership and as well as in other partnerships, often when some of those domestic duties fall on one partner or another, uh-huh. it is taken for granted and right. there isn't a lot of gratitude offered. Right. But then when the other party, the one who doesn't tend to take care of the domestic chores, does something, they're like, hey, I did it. I did. I, I cleaned the toilet. Yeah. Aren't you going to praise me? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that is very interesting with Hestia. And I wonder, because I don't work with her mm-hmm. in my personal practice, but I wonder if working with her as a part of domestic practice, mm-hmm. how that might shift how I feel. About, maybe I want to try this. Yeah. How it might shift how I feel about it or how it's honored. You know, if if before I ask my daughter to do the dishes, I tell her to say a prayer to Hestia. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You never know. You never know. Something interesting to consider. That's true. That's true. I do have a dear friend who works with Hestia. Um, it's one of their inner circle of gods. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. So I often wonder how they feel about domestic chores. We've never had this conversation. I'll have to ask him, but there you go. Yeah, there you go. Because I know that for us, we're just, I mean, I live alone, so obviously mm-hmm. I don't have, and my little dogs aren't going to be the ones that clean the toilets. Or, or thank you for or it. thank me for cleaning <laughs> their, their, their pen up or anything. Yeah, I know. Um, but it's, it has a different feel because I am by myself, so I'm, you know, I'm virginal in a sense by virgin of, of the fact that 
by virtue of I don't have anyone that is my partner that right. is here. But um, and it was it was it's like what is your hearth? Where is your hearth? Where is uh, center? Yeah, you know. And I think that again we're talking ancient and modern, ancient and modern. But then that's because we live in this world with our cultures and our our modern technology, right. and most of us don't have a fireplace or a fire pit sitting in the middle of our house. Right. And I think it's important, anytime I do workshops on gods or we talk about gods on this show, I like to mention knowing the history of that deity is important. Understanding the culture that they came from is uh-huh. important. That doesn't necessarily mean you need to worship this god or uh-huh. goddess like they did, uh-huh. but understanding the context is important. Right. And then you can take that and fit that with a modern perspective. Right. How does that work now? Right. Obviously, they weren't filling a dishwasher in right. ancient times. <laughs> That's true. They weren't going into the garage to the washer and dryer. Right. Right? So how does it work now? Mm-hmm. Well, that's, no, that's a good one. That's very good. And she, you know, she very rarely had her own temple. There were a few in Greece that were dedicated to her, but it was for every god and goddess's temple, she was in the center of their temple as the yes. hearth flame. Yes, so technically, she's everywhere. Yes. Every temple is Hestia's temple. Exactly. Yeah. I love it. And I thought that was really kind of like, oh, yeah, okay, got that. You know, so there are some interesting things about, you know, being, as as you did say, the oldest and the youngest. Yeah. The, the, the Alpha Omega concept. And... Um, you know she's she's very she's you don't see a lot of of uh, statues or uh, pictures or things of her now it's interesting in um, certain and I did see a few on the on the websites that I was at there is one where Homer and Ovid and uh, you know the different uh, poets do talk about this yeah. Yeah, I have some quotes that I'll share later. That's good. Yeah, because I didn't write them down. Yeah. <laughs> but it was interesting because, again, I thought, well, she is everywhere. Yeah. And why is it that we, you know, I, mean, I know just like there's all air all over the place. Yeah. Well, think about how important fire is. Yeah. We take it for granted. Oh, God, this show should be called Hestia. Yeah. Remembering do not take shit for granted. No kidding. But we take fire for granted for right. most of us. For most of us. Uh-huh. You flick a switch and your central heating comes on. Right. For most of us, you flick a switch and either a, a burner heats up or a flame springs out and you can cook. Right. Or, even more magically, you have this magic box and you push a button and hit start and a microwave comes <gasps> on. Right. See, right. Fire is not as... Um, the awareness of fire is not so prevalent for us. Right. But it would have been for the mm-hmm. ancient Greeks. Mm-hmm. Fire was life. Fire is life. Exactly. And having a hearth, that you had to have that. Every right. home had that. Every temple had that. Every space where people were right. had a hearth space. Mm-hmm. Um, and fire had to be tended. Right. You don't just set a fire and then mosey. Yeah, that's true. Right? So there were the there were... Um, in these temples, there were priestesses who were taking care of the uh-huh. fire. Uh-huh. And to let a fire go out in a community fire was a, a terrible omen. Right, right. Tending the fire and taking care of the fire, unless you're deliberately extinguishing the fire for a ritual purpose. Right, and then you, to relight. You don't do that. Right. You know, so that is also Hestia. As uh-huh. She had public fires in uh-huh. many uh-huh. Um, the communal squares and things, right. and things right. like that. And that, you know... What we see here with the Greek Hestia mm-hmm. is that it was communal. There was a public, um, and I can never remember the name, but it's okay. It was a specific community center that they had a community temple, and that was where her main of every uh, city or every town, and that was where that, from the main one, it was taken, and the, the new colonies would always take from that temple right. the fire and travel it to their new colony. So they were always connected with this particular situation, but it was part of their um, religious and political structure. Yeah. 
and but it was all community orientated as opposed to anything else which we'll talk about later right. with Vesta. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, very much community. Very mm-hmm. much and that's you know, that's kind of what fire is about. Yes. If you've ever gone camping and you had a, you have a fire, mm-hmm. all of a sudden there's a ring of people sitting mm-hmm. around the fire. Even if you take our modern concept of fire, if you have a party, where does everyone congregate? In the kitchen. Right. In the hearth. Right. Right? It's it's a thing. It's yeah. it's a human thing. It's part of our desire to be communal. Right. Yeah. It is and invariably it was circular. I mean in the concept of what even when they talked about her being a part of the architectural aspect of her um, overseeing mm-hmm. is that it was in the center, it was a circle, it was again the beginning and the end made into a circle to have fire and the hearth. Right. So um, from there and you know the the myth or the one part of why she chose to be virginal yeah. was because both Apollo and Poseidon wanted to get to her and she said no and so she you know placed think, herself outside of that. I think Apollo and Hestia would be a lovely match. I think so too. <laughs> actually. But you know fun up to me. But that was the that was the reason that was given. But if you look at she is the eldest literally the eldest but then intending the fire, the right. public fire, it is always a matron. Yes. Right. That's not a virginal woman. A matron is someone who has had children. Right. Right. And in some writings, she's described as the antithesis of Aphrodite. Right. Right. So we think of Aphrodite as sort of the sex pot beauty. Right. So then we, what that brings to my mind, at least, is sort of someone who's maybe plain. Right. And a little soft. Right, and I just don't feel any of that's accurate either. No, I don't, because, and that's one of the reasons why the statue that I presently have that we I used for the the picture and yeah. the, the altar is she is not stately and matronly in that sense. She is, you know, she's a woman with you know a definite set of you know curves, mm-hmm. and they're showing. It's not that she's um, got a bare breast or something, but she is definitely female, and you can see this. Yeah. So um, it's obvious that we we here feel that there is a mis a deliberate misplaced yeah. process. Right. Right. Of what what virgin virginity? You know, I was taught that it was one unto yourself. Right. You know, to be again your own sovereign your own yeah. person yeah so yeah what i find interesting too about her is, and the fact that we just did dionysus yes is that there are 12 chief gods mm-hmm. of olympus mm-hmm. right and she as the first and last born she right. technically should be one of them but she's not right she gave up her seat to dionysus right so here we see again this goddess who is pivotal and imperative and connected to every living space mm-hmm. and yet doesn't really want conflict, isn't really worried about the being in the limelight, Right, is happy to give up her seat because there was this whole um, story, there's a whole storyline of the conversation between whether Dionysus or Hestia is going to maintain their seat right in this. Right. Right. And instead of this having to be a huge thing, she just says, you know, Oh, she says, supposedly, since the hearth is immovable, Hestia is unable to take part even in the procession of the gods, let alone the other antics of the Olympians. Right. So it's not just that she doesn't want the argument, but she realizes the hearth can't move. Right. So I don't need to worry about being supplanted. Right. Right. I will always be here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's truly pretty sweet. And, you know, of course, there is the one, um, what is it, Priambus or... um, the god, the fertility god, they do have a, a thing where her she was part of some <clears throat> situation where there was a celebration and um, Priampus, I think his name, Priampus, is um, basically comes to her boudoir and mm. tries to straddle her and she wakes up because the baying of the donkey 
wakes her up and wakes the whole thing. She screams and he goes out and of course, you know, it's it's like she was saved by this. So she has, you know, one of her sacred animals is the donkey. Mm -hmm. The other one is the pig. Right. Domestic pigs. Domesticated. Not boars, but pigs. And um, I thought that was interesting. Again, it was unwanted. She would not allow herself to be taken. Right. So I know that it, it shows her in one light as a myth that she was chased and not, you know, and not defiled. Right. But in actuality, I think it shows more that she chose not to have this dude, and that yeah. was it. Um, not interested, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I know that that's, and um, and in a lot of the imagery that has remained that depicts Hestia, she is often very modestly mm-hmm. dressed. Mm-hmm. Um, she's usually veiled. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes she's holding a branch, something that represents domesticity. Mm-hmm. So, a plant that would have been eaten or right. um, has a kettle, something right. that is connected to domestic affairs. Right. right. Um, yeah. And I know that um, one that again her her um, celebration is June seventh. Oh. Yeah. So she basically has. Um, that is, uh, it's like June 7th, 8th, and 9th, I believe it is, that she actually has time set aside for her, not Vesta, which kind of goes on to um, a more Roman time date. I wonder what a celebration on those days would have looked like. Like, was that the days that people would have stayed home and um, cleaned? Was that like everyone comes together and takes care of the household that day or cleans out the fire pits or whatever? Well, I know it's it's the time when officially the inner, the, you know, because the inner sanctum was always called for every um, temple, Hestia. Yeah. And I know that for this particular situation it was taken and cleaned, so the fire was, put out ritually, they cleaned, they they swept, they, you know, scrubbed, and then relit the fire. Right. So, yeah, I would think that it would be of that nature. Interesting. Yes. One of these years I'm going to put all of these dates of different deities' holidays on my calendar and then do different ritual every day. Like, doesn't that, doesn't that sound fun? Uh, yes, but I think you'd find that you wouldn't be doing much of anything else. Well, what else? I mean, <laughs> what's something to look forward to? Do we want to say in retirement? <laughs> what is that? I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, now she did form. Like, my ritual comes first. <laughs> anyway. She formed, uh, they, they kind of talked about her forming this sort of companionship, like friends mm-hmm. with Hermes. Oh, which I thought was interesting. It is interesting because he goes between the worlds, right? Exactly. Travel around. So what I picture when you say that is Hermes coming back to Hestia and having a little gossip session. Of course. Did you hear what Zeus did? That, yeah. Yeah. Because it really, it's funny because I thought, well, you know, think about it. They're like the pillars of a temple. They're together, but they're not together. Right. They kind of hang out together, but they're not really. Right. Well, and I find uh, Hermes to be quite queer. Yes. So I just figured, you know, the... The girl in the kitchen with her very queer boyfriend, and they're talking about all the drama and and all of the gossip and what Zeus is up to now. Right. I right. love that imagery. Yeah. I'm very pleased. So, yeah, so that was something I thought was really interesting, and, and it kind of fits, you yeah. know. I mean, she wasn't necessarily um, in relationship except as a friend, and that worked, so... But so may okay, it's almost time to take a break. Could I read one of these? Please, please. One of these invocations to Hestia. Good. So this one is Ophiric Myth eighty four to Hestia. Uh-huh. To Hestia, fumigation from aromatics, daughter of Kronos, venerable dame, who dwellest amidst great fires, eternal flame. In sacred rites, these ministers are thine, mystics uh-huh. much blessed, holy, and divine. In thee, the gods have fixed their dwelling place, strong, stable basis of the mortal race. 
eternal, much-formed, ever-florid queen, laughing and blessed, and of lovely mien. Accept these rights, accord each just desire, and gentle health and needful good inspire. Ooh. That Homer. That Homer. All right. Okay. Be back. Be back. You're listening to The Witch, The Priestess, and The Cauldron, a radio podcast on the LMC Radio Network. Stay tuned as more magic is coming your way right after these messages. The LMC Radio Network is a media alliance whose excellent shows include The Lucky Mojo Hooter Root Work Hour with Catherine Ironwood and Conjurman Ollie, Sundays, 3 to 4.30. Candela's Corner with Candela Canisa, Michael Carell, and Lady A, Mondays, 5 to 7. The Crystal Silence League Hour with John St. Germain, Tuesdays, 5 to 6. In the Streets with Beverly Smith, Tuesdays, 6 to 7. Fit and Foxy with Madame Nadia and Jaya Danya, Wednesdays, 6 to 7. The Now You Know Show with Professor Charles Porterfield, Thursdays, 6 to 7.30. The Witch, the Priestess, and the Cauldron with Elvira Love and Phoenix Le Fay, Fridays, 6 to 7. And Liquid Libations with Andrea Weston, Saturdays, 5 to 7. All Time Specific, add three hours for Eastern, sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. I always feel energized after that. (laughs) 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 Oh, my goodness. Yes, indeedy. So here we are with the next part of our our talk. I mean, I think Vesta is necessary, even though it isn't Hestia, because of how the Roman version, I mean, borrowed, borrowed, stole, took, assumed, (laughs) Usurped, usurped. That's my favorite word. Yes, I like that. You know, you usurped. Yeah. So, but um, and Vestia actually was. They really made the Vestal versions of the virgins, right. and you know, it's though they did have them for only. I think it was. They stayed in the temple. Um, until they were. 30, mm. for 30 years. They served, they started at age 6 to 10, mm-hmm. and then they served for 30 years. Then they could go out and have a family. Right, but then in Roman times, they would have been too old to do any of that. Right. They, if they made it that long. If they made I it I think the long. average age, I just watched a show about this. I think the average age of um, survival, or however you would phrase that, was like 32. Yeah which meant that they were basically in old age. They were crones. Right, they were crones. Yeah. So, A, not only would they um, be unlikely to be interested in much of any of that because <laughs> they'd lived a chaste life their whole time, time. <laughs> but there would probably not be a lot of folks that were looking for a Vestal Virgin. Of that age. In her twilight of life. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> so, hey, oh, and be free and staying away and yet... And you've got only maybe a year or so left. Right. But I doubt they're probably, although really of all of the people of Rome, the Vestal Virgins are probably pretty healthy because they would have been taken care of better than an average Joe. Yeah. Or Joanne. Joanne. (laughs) Josephine. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And, you know, in the 11th centuries that they basically held this concept, only 20 of these poor Vestals broke their vows and were killed. Right. At right. least that's the published version. Yeah. The I, What did I just watch about this? Oh, I know. There is a show. Mm-hmm. It's only available on Hulu. It's called Super Sizers Go. Why it's called that, I still have yet to figure it out. But it's this food critic guy. Mm-hmm. It's a British show. A food critic guy and a comedian, mm-hmm. a woman. And the two of them travel back in time to these different time periods. Right. And they dress like they would have been at time. They spend a week living like that time period. Oh. So 
they do the jobs that they would have done, they eat the foods that they would have eaten. Right. And they did one on ancient Rome, and she spent her week as a Vestal Virgin. Holy moly. That's why I, re- I, I was like, God, this is so fresh. When did I know about this? <laughs> Thanks for television. No kidding. There's always good things we can pull from that, right? Yeah. It, it's a great show. They've done all kinds of different timelines, and mm-hmm. you learn a lot about uh, the culture through food. It's pretty fascinating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, those Vestal Virgins. Yes, I know that that kind of leaves you with the with the dynamics of the fact that they did spend a lot, but they definitely made a temple to Vesta. Yeah. Vesta. They yeah. there was no you know like, and there was always that, and there were other there were temples of Vesta in all of their colonies and all their cities. So it was you know, but she was always put near the imperial um, political. Uh, temple or gathering place. Yeah. So she was always maybe in the center, but she was attached to the concept of the political structure, mm-hmm. not just religious. Right. So, and that's I think where the ver- the version between Hestia and Vesta is is that you have that separation and and it's more more political and more structured to the powers that be rather than the community as the power. Right. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, that kind of made me go, wait a minute. Yeah. You know, because it seemed, you know, of course the Romans are the ones that, how do I want to put this? The Greeks weren't exactly lovely, peaceful, oh, you right. know, no. but they were not as aggressive and right. warlike. They didn't take over the world. Right. Yeah. Domination. Like the Romans. And are still doing. And still doing yeah. in one form or another. Yeah, as in the United States. Yeah. <laughs> She's right on my thought. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. But, I, you know, it's funny because um, when I started seeing the differences between Vesta and um, Hestia, I always had a fonder feeling for Hestia. Mm-hmm. I never, and it wasn't, it wasn't because of the virginal thing in Vesta's stuff. Yeah. It just, I always had more of that, and I'm not Greek, obviously. I may have some somewhere being Sicilian. You, you definitely do. But it was because they didn't, it was not like, the center of one's life is the political structure. Right. Well, it also, to me, I don't know, this is just the way my brain works, but Hestia feels like a deity where uh, Vesta feels like priestesses. Yes. Right? There, it, do, it doesn't feel though the same, there doesn't feel to be the same weight. Right. To anyone who works in the Roman pantheon and has a completely different perspective, I would love to hear how you work with Vesta and right. how that goes for you. Uh-huh. Um, but for for me, it just feels Hestia feels like she's there's a, a weight there mm-hmm. that I don't experience mm-hmm. with Vesta. I think maybe power. I mean, one is a power power structure. Not mm-hmm. that Hestia isn't powerful by a long shot. She is, but she's also the anchor of the community. Right. Whether it's the anchor of the home or the anchor of the community or the anchor of the colonies or, you know, whatever you want to call it in terms of all of the things going on. And she shows how important that the hearth space and home space is. It was for the Greek people, uh, if you touched a, a fire of Hestia's and it was you weren't supposed to, uh-huh. it was a serious crime. Right. If you committed a crime near... Uh, a domestic hearth, uh-huh. basically in anyone's house. Right. You could be given the death sentence. Right. So stealing from homes, committing crimes at homes, any of these things where you were doing it in uh, in uh, a place where Hestia could witness it, uh-huh. Uh-huh. it was considered not just a crime, but a crime against Hestia. Right. Which was punishable by death. Right. So this was, you know. We we talked about she kind of got the short end of the stick when it came to offerings and was sometimes taken for granted. Uh-huh. But it, she was also it was very serious business to right. with her and she was taken care of and she was acknowledged. Uh-huh. And, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, so there's an interesting paradox yeah. there. Yeah, you know. But again, I think that brings us always to the concept of 
all deities have paradoxes oh, yeah. because it just depends on, you know, where you're looking. Yeah. You know, I mean, we did Dionysus, and so you had Dionysus who was, you know, frenzy, and Dionysus who was the craftsman and right. the one who, who took care of the harvest and, and the wine and the, and the creativity and all this other, right. you know. So you have that, that difference. I, I guess I'm, I'm looking at all of the things that Hestia has and what she was about and how she permeated everybody's life. <laughs> right. It just was so much apart. Right. And Vesta, though honored, was honored in a in a way that was um, detached. And she was, and very much a part of, yes, the fire and all of that, but it was always attached to an aggressive reference point right and she may not have been aggressive in what she was because you know she was the female she was supposed mm-hmm. to take care of everything and she was just quiet and off in that corner doing her thing and but it was always the power of that source that was then taken as an aggressive movement forward and it was always it was like she needed to bless the aggression right is what I got the feeling mm. Interesting. Yeah, but I mean, I'm looking at it in a bigger perspective, not just what we read and discuss about the the information. Just as I said, we have tons of information about Vesta. Right. But that's because she came from a a group of people who took over everything and then made all these kinds of things that they, reams and reams of stuff, and she had a temple. She had a whole structure that they put together for her. Right. And the the fire of Hestia's temple was a blessing. Yes. If you were being sent out of Greece as a soldier or if you were leaving Greece to go and move someplace else, or even there's recordings of immigrants who come to visit Uh Uh taking some of Hestia's hearth fire home Uh because it was considered a major blessing to have that fire to start your fire in your new home or return back to the home that you came from. So the fire was magic. That's true, yeah. and it was totally magic. And, you know, even in with the Greeks, they, if a child was either being adopted or brought in, they were brought to the hearth fire and presented to Hestia so she would give her blessing yeah. to bringing that, in, that child, that, that being, into the community and making it a part of it, whereas I didn't see any of that being discussed when I talked to her when I read yeah. about Vesta. Right, right. It's a little bit different. Yeah. Okay. And I did actually, when I was in Rome, I did go to the temple that was there, the the, the primo temple that in ruins, of yeah. course. But that was the Vestal Virgins and the temple and everything mm-hmm. on the Appian Way. So it was it was it was interesting. I mean, it had power. It didn't have a whole shitload of power because of all the stuff that's gone on right. around it. Right. But you know, okay, that's that was seen. Yeah. <laughs> But Do we hear another? Yeah, another hymn? one. A another hymn. one. Another Homer hymn. All right, Homer, Homeric hymn twenty-four. Okay, Hestia, you who tend the holy house of the Lord Apollo, the far shooter at the goodly Pytho, with soft oil dripping ever from your locks, come now into this house. Come, having one mind with Zeus the All Wise, draw near and with stall bestow grace upon my son. Ooh, nice. I like the first one better. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, I mean, they all kind of have that that bringing forth of the honoring yeah. and, and yeah. putting it together. So, um, And that's the thing I like about um, the Homeric myths and sort of the way we are, the reconstruction of Greek um, paganism uh-huh. is this very long-winded, poetic, <laughs> beautiful prose to right. call to the gods. You know, in some traditions, um, what was I reading about? Like, I know in, in Egyptian traditions they did this, but they would they would almost threaten the gods. Mm-hmm. Hey, listen up, buddy. Yeah. If you want this boon from me, if you want this offering from me, you're going to give me this thing that I want. Right, right. Some of these Greek myths are, are beautiful, like wooing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. the Norse folks would dance to lure the gods. You had to be sexy to, right. to lure the gods to come and do oracle work. Like right. It's fascinating the way these different cultures called the gods in, petitioned and called yeah. the gods in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't know. I think that, well, 
let's go to more traditional ones. We're talking about Christianity and, and the way that they're petitioned and, you know, the prayers and the, the psalms and the different things that are yeah. petitioned, right? These are petitions to ask for the help. Right. But um, so also, you know, that Vesta is seen in the constellation Capricorn. Oh, I didn't know that. I kind of thought, well, that's interesting. We don't have Hestia. We had Vesta. So, but um, she was much more the symbol. They had a symbol for her Vestal Virgins that was kind of like this cauldrony um, glyph, mm-hmm. and it was in a bar, so it looked like the fire, the cauldron mm-hmm. of the fire, mm-hmm. on a pillar with two lines. And I was, I was looking at that going, that is so whether it's the Vestal Virgins or Vesta, it was so much of a pictorial point of reference yeah. of the fire, right. the hearth fire, right? The yeah. sacred fire. And, you know, what I would say, if you're serious about working with Hestia or Vesta even, and if you want to do a little bit of a ritual for her, or if you think, next June, I'm going to put this on my calendar now, and the first weekend of June I'm doing a Hestia ritual, I would say, you need fire, right? Yeah. If you have a fireplace in your home, amazing. Uh-huh. If you have a fire pit in your backyard, great. Uh-huh. And if you have no access to any of that, at the very least, you can make a fairy fire. Uh-huh. And the only thing you need for it, well, you need three things. You need a cauldron uh-huh. that can be on a fire-safe surface because it will get hot. Yes. You need Epsom salt, and you fill the bottom of your cauldron with Epsom salt. And then you get a high-grade rubbing alcohol, like an 80 or 90% rubbing alcohol, uh-huh. and you fill the cauldron so that the Epsom salts are they're covered with about a half inch of alcohol on top uh-huh. of it, uh-huh. and then you light it on fire. And we call it a fairy fire. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it's, not a, it's a fire, so it's hot, obviously, but it's not a hot burning fire. It's right. usually pretty safe for right. indoors. Right. Uh, there's not a ton of smoke that comes off of it. Mm-hmm. And then when it's done burning or when you're done doing your ritual, you need to have a, a calf to put on that. Stuff it out. Close, close it out. out. It will burn itself out. And then you just let it cool down, and you can put it out someplace outdoors. If, don't put it in a garden because it will kill salt, will kill your yes. plants. Yes, I keep telling people that when they are doing the various cleansing, yeah. please find if you really have things you want to do it with and it's on dirt, go to weeds. Right. So, yeah, someplace you don't want things to grow anymore. Go for it, but not where you got your yeah. favorite rose bush. So don't do that. Yeah. yeah. That's, you know, having a fire is a really great way uh-huh. to communicate with this goddess to show her. Uh-huh. Uh, shit, have a, a candle. Yeah. You know, just something to have a flame so that you can connect to that energy. And if all else fails, and I do know several people that I have worked, I, that I do work with or have worked with that don't or can't have a flame because they're renting a room and it's not permitted or whatever, and you get those little electric light things. I mean, yep. that is a flame. It is electric. It is the fire. It may not be exactly, but, you know, it's it's there. It's an honoring. Right. But, um the flame is always nicer, yeah, because it is, and it does present its own warmth and its own sense of, yeah. Well, and, you know, flame is hypnotizing and magical, and there's something about it that is just fascinating. I know. I know. It's kind of interesting. I, I've i always had a fireplace. Yeah. I've always lived in houses where there were fireplaces, whether it was in Southern California where fireplaces didn't seem to be necessary, but they were there, <laughs> or up here they were for look, there for look, but they were actual real, they didn't have, you know, you had to build a fire, yeah. that was, and that to me was really exciting, I came up here and I lived in a house that had this incredible fireplace, and you did have to build a fire, yeah. and then I wound up with more modern versions with the gas, and you know that, but I've always felt that, and this is the one place that I'm living that I don't. I have a fake one, which is electric, but I used to put candles in that fireplace and do my mm-hmm. rituals and do all of that wherever I was. It didn't right. matter that I may not have built a fire. It was a gas fireplace, but I wasn't necessarily going to use that. I just used it for my rituals. Yeah. But, you know. Lovely. I know. It's kind of sad, but I do feel that in this particular situation. It's teaching me a different way to go about it. Yeah, absolutely. You know. And Hestia is your is also your own personal inner hearth fire. Yeah. I think that every one of us that works with, you know, particular deities, 
we have an external, we have all the different things, we connect to it, we connect to it in a spiritual form, but then there's always where does this resonate in my physical being. Right, right. And, and there's an energetic there of making your home a sanctuary. Uh-huh. Estia, I've discovered over the years of flirting with different goddesses, She's excellent. As a Taurus, I like my home to be beautiful and comfortable. Mm-hmm. And she's excellent for that kind of work. Mm-hmm. She really can help you to uh, shift things in your home or find things for your home that make it feel like you want to be there. Right. I mean, especially, like, I've had terrible roommate situations where I basically lived in my bedroom because mm-hmm. being in communal living space was torture. Yeah. Yeah. So even in those, and even more so in those situations. Right. right. Where you, your space is not your own. Mm-hmm. She can be an excellent ally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she, she is definitely whatever form you choose, whether you use a picture or you use um, a little candle, a light, uh, something that you, you, connect to her as the flame, the hearth flame, your center in your, wherever it is, your home, your room, yeah, you know, that kind of a thing. Yeah. So, very much, and... Hail Hestia. Hestia, yes. Hail Hestia. She is definitely, and it's funny, because my hearth is is not where the kitchen is, because the last place I find myself is in the kitchen, and I, you know, make, I don't make a lot of stuff, but mm-hmm. it's funny, because I, when I got the statue, I was thinking, well, the dining room table, which is where we're sitting right now, and then I went, no, and it's over where, and I know this is funny, it's where my television is at, it's where my stereo is at, it's where my comfortable chair and couch are at, and where, you know, I sit with my dogs, or I sit with people and have conversations, but that became where her heart really is. Sure. Yeah. So it has absolutely nothing to do with some of her other things, but there it is. And on that note, and that note, we're just about at time, really. And I wanted to mention, because we, we haven't mentioned this last couple of shows, is we will be having another Ask a Witch segment. Mm-hmm. Probably not till November. Right. So start thinking about those questions, show topics that you'd like to hear, if you want us to do a reading for you, mm-hmm. anything, write us. Write us. So with priestesscauldron.com, and we have a play, page where you can write in and ask anything, yep. pretty much anything, I'll answer. Really? And she will. I, I will. promise you. You might not want to know it, but I'll, I'll answer it. <laughs> We're feisty. We keep getting feistier as the year goes on. Have you noticed that? Yeah, I think I'm just being more true to myself. I think so. <laughs> you guys got us. You got the sweet side. Now we're really coming out. We're sassy. Yeah. So next week we'll be cleansing. Cleansing. Of different versions, self, house, etc. Spirit. Spirit. The dirty spirit. I know. I know. So you have to be clean before the Minotaur can eat you. I know. <laughs> I try not to find a minotaur, but if I do, I have to tell him, excuse me, I have to, to take a bath. I'm going to go take my spiritual bath before you devour me, before you devour me. So have a wonderful week <laughs> on that rather unique <laughs> note. Ending. Hey. Ending. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Witch, The Priestess, and The Cauldron, a radio podcast on the LMC Radio Network. Our podcast airs live every Friday at 6 p.m. Pacific and will be available for download. Questions or comments on this show or ideas for upcoming shows can be sent to our website, and that's at www.witchpriestesscauldron.com. Again, that's witchpriestesscauldron.com. On behalf of Elvira, Phoenix, Alan, and myself, Gwion Raven, a big merry meet and merry part and merry meet again. Blessed be.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.